Before speaking, I would like to offer my most humble respects to my spiritual teachers, to our lineage, and to the Supreme. Om Magina Timarandasyagana Jana Salakaya Chaksuru Militanyena Tasmai Sri Guruve Namaha Bhaja Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Sri Adwaita Gadadhar Sri Vasadigaur Bhakta Vinda E Krishna Kauru Na Sindhu Dina Bandhu Jagatpate Gopisha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namostute Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Haribo So I've um, received a few questions that um, we will try to address. The first one is from, I think it's Sally. Jenny. Huh? There's another one about that from Jenny. S- no. I've... Um. And the question is like a really, a really, really important question. What is my purpose in life? Why am I here? It's kind of interesting because we've got that and we've got, you know, another question related to a reincarnation and another couple of questions related to uh, the nature of, of suffering in this world. Um, and that instantly reminded me of, of a, an amazing event that took place about 500 years ago. One of our great spiritual teachers, his name was Sanatan Goswami. And um, he had lived a life of great privilege. He was, he was a, a great transcendentalist, but was born in a very wealthy family. Uh, he had been required to serve the Muslim emperor that had seized control of North India and East India at that time, um, the emperor had engaged Sanatan to be his treasurer, which I think is a very clear indication of his exceptional talents and intelligence. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been put in that situation. Eventually, Sanatan freed himself from the service and leaving everything behind, becoming a... a, mendicant, he traveled to one of the great holy places of India. And on that journey, he met up with his spiritual master, the great Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And they engaged in this extraordinary discourse. And in this discourse, 
um, Sanatan took a position of, of enormous humility, saying that he was very low-born and very unintelligent. So he said, I was born in a low family, family and my associates are all very low-class people. I myself am very fallen and the lowest of men. Indeed, I have passed my whole life fallen into the well of sinful materialism. I do not know what is beneficial for me or what is detrimental. So in saying that, um, he is referencing how a person should approach the subject of, of the purpose of life, accepting that perhaps I, I don't know, perhaps I don't have it all right, perhaps I've got many things wrong. And so Sanatan prayed in this way, he said, I do not know what is beneficial for me or what is detrimental. Nonetheless, in ordinary dealings, people consider me a learned scholar, and I am also thinking of myself as such. And of course, he, he was an extraordinary scholar. He spoke multiple languages. He was a brilliant <clears throat> person. And continuing, he said, Out of your causeless mercy, you have delivered me from the materialistic path. And now, by the same causeless mercy, Please tell me what my duty is. Who am I? Why do the threefold miseries in life always give me trouble? If I do not know this, how can I be benefited? Actually, I do not know how to inquire about the goal of life and the process of obtaining it. Being merciful upon me, please explain all these truths. So I, I thought I would just read that because it, it is highly instructive how we need to approach this spiritual search. If I think I already know so much and I've got it together, I am not going to be interested in hearing nor will I have a tendency to inquire very carefully. So in answering this question, I, I will just give you something foundational. The understanding of, of the great spiritual teachers is that we are all eternal spiritual beings. The body that we have on is not our identity. It's not who we are. This is a temporary covering that I'm occupying. Anywhere that you see life, there is spiritual existence. Life is a symptom of the presence of the soul or the atma. Therefore, in lower species, and here I'm going to just reference animals in particular. There is the same spiritual being, the same soul, the same atma um, as, as in a human body. 
only in that body one is incredibly covered. There is no capacity to ask questions. One simply acts on impulse and on desire. There is no, there is no other, other choice. This is animal existence. An animal existence is said that they have four primary focuses or, or concerns. First is eating, always looking, what, what to, where can I eat, eat, eat. The second is where can I sleep? Where am I going to bed down for the night? The third is mating, engaging in sexual activity for reproductive purposes. And then a fourth and final one is to defend what they consider theirs, their territory, their young, themselves. So this eating, sleeping, mating, and defending were considered before animal proclivities. Human beings also tend to be almost entirely focused on these four things. Everything else that is done, like the type of work and getting an education, everything is done in in support of these fundamental proclivities. But in the human form of life, one has a unique capacity. The human body is considered the most subtle of all the gross material coverings that can cover a soul. And the subtleness makes it so that there is this intelligence where one can ask these questions. So what is this all about? What is life about? What is it for? Why why am I here? Uh, In the lower forms of life, one cannot and does not answer this or ask this question. So the fact that we we can ask this question is somewhat of an indicator about the importance and the purpose of human life. To have a human form has one and only one actual purpose. And that purpose is self-realization and God-realization. The answer to this question, who am I and why am I here? This is, this is the actual purpose. Everything else is, is secondary or tertiary is of not great importance. I mean, many of the things that we focus on and we think are like incredibly important, oh, uh, developing relationships, um, perhaps um, a family, you know, our own family or being part of a family, um, an occupation uh, and, and a skill set to make it so I can earn money and then to gain recognition and acceptance, um, fame perhaps even. All of these things that accompany these undertakings, when looked at in the big picture, 
are actually not very important at all. Not very important because they have a beginning and they will come to an end. And as one lives through that life, everything that we strived for, everything that we endeavored for, everything that we got all emotional about and this roller coaster up and down and, you know, all of these things instantly comes to an end at death. Not only does it come to an end, that's it for good. There is no revisiting what has happened. And the understanding that's taught in the Vedas is that then the living being, the spirit soul, the Atma, leaves a particular body. And that is why the body dies. You don't die. You cannot die. You are eternal. But the body will die. And then, according to the laws of karma and other laws of material nature, you will again take another body. And you will again go through this process of identifying with a new family and new relationships and a new particular body that you have. Now you have adopted this identity and this has become me. And now again, I engage in these undertakings one more time with tremendous enthusiasm and focus. It's like becomes my all in all. And then that journey comes to an end when my body is no longer habitable because of disease or accident or old age or whatever, then I just move right on. I just leave everything and I leave all those relationships and all those connections and just just move on. When we have that broad perspective, then it really helps us to become more focused on what is the true purpose and meaning of my life. I I would just like, well, let me finish this thought. The purpose of human life is spiritual pursuit, the discovery of who I am in, in truth, who I am, and to reconnect and experience the reality of my spiritual identity. And of course, with that, there will be a realization of my connection with some higher spiritual reality. So this is referred to as God realization. So this is the real purpose, to rediscover myself and reconnect with that which is permanent, with that which is eternal. Because I am spending, I am an eternal being, but I am spending all my time just chasing that which is temporary, which does not last, which is actually a monumental waste of time in the sense that it all comes to an end and then it's all gone and I I just move on to another situation. Somebody may then ask, okay, well, if, if material life and, and, you know, the life of this, in this body and, and everything, is that all to be ignored or rejected? And the answer is absolutely not. We cannot artificially attain a platform of perfect spiritual realization. 
we fully embrace the reality and the acceptance that now I am in an embodied state. I am in this condition for whatever reason. I have this body, and with this particular body, there is a, there is definitely duty and responsibility. And so while my main focus in life, my principal focus in life, has to be this spiritual journey of discovery, of self-realization, of the realization of my true and eternal spiritual identity, while that is, is the main thing, I have to accept, but I'm not in a state of pure or perfect spiritual consciousness. I'm still clouded by material consciousness. I still have this covering. And so I must act in a way that is in my self-interest. My self-interest is the spiritual realization, but at the same time, I have an obligation. I have an obligation towards family, to people I am in relationships with, to a broader society. Yes, there are obligations here. And I need to carry out those things as duties, as responsibilities, but in the larger context that this is in support of my spiritual journey of of self-discovery. When we understand that, then one does not act in an irresponsible way or seeks to avoid these great responsibilities and duties connected with having a material body and being a resident in this world. So these um, duties are, are going to be there. And so my life now becomes balanced. A material life is a life of imbalance. It's completely out of balance. It is a complete and total focus on the temporary, on that which is temporary and constantly changing, while I am an eternal. And so what, what I do is I seek to find or to fulfill my deeper spiritual needs in this world. I try to make a home here. You cannot make a home here. This is not your home. I seek permanent relationships. I seek permanence in so many ways. And, and that is, is false. It is false because I cannot find permanence. But if I understand that in my, this journey that there is a need for me to live a more balanced life instead of just chasing that which is material in the hope that it will fulfill me, in the hope that it will satisfy me. We draw a huge distinction between the pleasurable experiences that one can receive through the senses, tasting, touching, smelling, seeing. These can be pleasurable stimulation and experience. But these things are not the same as being completely happy. One can be in a situation where they're constantly stimulating their senses and have 
of course, a brilliant example is uh, somebody that's taking, you know, methamphetamine and, and is totally addicted to it. And it's just every day, you know, you're looking for that blast or that two or three or four blasts, five blasts, you know, and and people smoke it. People move past that to injecting, which is actually called blasting. And, you know, if you watch somebody over the course of this experience, where they're experiencing tremendous, you know, rush in their, in their brain um, from the drug, where there's this massive amounts of stimulation. But I can at the same time be incredibly unhappy and even suicidal. So... When we live a, a balanced life, it doesn't mean that we turn our back on material existence, but we try to understand its purpose and meaning, and we try to utilize it to support my body, the health of my body, the well-being of my body, so I can utilize this instrument in my spiritual search. I should be using or utilizing my body and my mind to fulfill my highest need, the need for self-realization. If I am not using my body and my mind, my mind and my body will be using me. I am like the energy source for the mind and the body. But the mind and the body have the capacity to almost operate independently. And when the mind is not controlled, it is considered the greatest enemy of, of all people. So um, I think I've, I've sufficiently covered what is the purpose of life. Why am I here is a little bit more challenging to answer because it requires a, a deeper understanding of things. But I will tell you this. All, all entangled beings in this world suffer from a common disease, a common ailment. And that ailment is the desire to be the center of everything. I mean, I don't even think about it like that. But in my actions and in my life, I am like constantly placing myself at the center of everything. This de The degree of self-absorption of the material condition is astonishing. And we don't even recognize how bad it is or how powerful it is. Even when somebody is in a state of, for instance, massive depression, where they're completely unhappy and shutting themselves off from the world, in that condition, there is just this idea of me being at the center of everything and me being in this dark hole. Again, it's, it's simply all about me. You notice in this world, when a group of people get together, it's like a mini competition 
to be the center of things. You've got one person that tells the best jokes and that's how they seek to be the center of attention. Somebody else has got the cool new clothing on or some hot new phone or something and you know flashing it around and that's how they get attention somebody else is trying to do it with the beauty or the muscle thing or a new tattoo or some new skateboard trick or some you know new thing that they've heard that they want to share with everybody somebody's got the hot gossip oh did you guys hear about you know (laughs) Every time people do this, if you look at the underlying psychology, there is this desire to be at the center of things. This is considered the big problem. And this is considered one of the reasons why we are in this place. We are in this place because we have turned our back on what is our true and eternal natural position to be a a humble and loving servant of the supreme soul. I, I mean, I am not the center of the universe. Somebody else is. There is actually a center of the universe of all material and spiritual creation. But in in the material condition, I have no thought of that. In fact, I am seeking to occupy that position. I see everything in relation to what I call me. But the me that I'm talking about is not the true me. It's just the the body and, and the mind. So the material world is considered from a spiritual perspective to be the realm of the wayward souls, those who seek to be godlike and the center of everything. And the material realm is considered the realm where one can undertake this pursuit and, of course, puts us immediately in conflict with everything else around us because we want to be supreme, we want to be the center of things, um, but this is this is a, a, a very big subject. But the thing that we need we need to do is to seek to regain our original and true spiritual consciousness and position. And this is the purpose. The uh, Vedanta Sutra, or the Brahma Sutra which is considered one of the most authoritative spiritual texts, begins with a Sanskrit aphorism, a line. And it is atato brahma jigyasa, which means now is the time for spiritual inquiry. And what this statement is pointing to is now that you have attained the human form of life, now that you have already, you know, been stuck on this repeated wheel of birth and death for so long, now that you have gained the highly valuable human form, now it is time for you to begin inquiry into a 
higher spiritual truth. So this is really what the purpose of, of human life is, is um, for. So now I'll speak um, about a, a question from Jenny, Haribo Jenny. What is the point of us not remembering our previous lives? What benefit is there in not remembering them? What reason is there that we cannot remember them? So, one of the characteristics of the Atma, the self, the spirit soul, is that we have freedom of choice. We are free to make choices, but what we don't understand is we are not free from the consequence of those choices. So I, I mentioned, you know, in, in the end of the last question I answered, that one of the characteristics of the, of the conditioned state is this desire for us that we have to be the central enjoying agent, to be the center of things, to be loved, to be honored, to be uplifted, to enjoy different experiences. We, we see ourselves in this way and we think it is our right and we endeavor. Everybody is endeavoring in this way. The problem is when I am completely, when I have lost the plot and I live out a materially focused life in a particular body, trying to exploit it and enjoy things and build relationships and acquire assets and experiences, and then the body dies, it becomes uninhabitable for, can be any one of a number of reasons. And then me, the living being, the spiritual being, must leave. I bring with me my underlying consciousness. And if my underlying consciousness is that I am still seeking to be the central enjoying agent of everything, I have developed attachment to certain types of relationships and experiences, material relationships and experiences, because I am hungering for these things and I am missing them with the thought of being separated from them, this really makes it so that we will again receive another body. Again, we will take birth in order for us to try and fulfill these desires and fantasies that we have and this underlying desire to be at the center of everything. If, if I could remember all that has happened in my previous life, that would be in direct conflict with my desire to be the central enjoying agent, that it's all about me. Because then I would start entering this realm of being feeling quite probably depressed and upset 
shit, I, I really want to be at the center of things. I really want to find the perfect love here. I really want to make a home here. I really want to enjoy all this stuff. But, you know, it keeps getting taken away from me. Oh, my God, that's so depressing. But that understanding doesn't bring spiritual consciousness. It doesn't purify my heart or my mind. It doesn't eradicate this desire I have to be at the center of everything. And so the, the mechanism, what, what happens, the experience of death for the majority of living beings is so utterly shocking and actually painful. And I'm not talking about physical pain. I'm talking about something much deeper. It is so shocking and painful. And the experience of birth is likewise shocking and painful. It is said that during these experiences, my memory of all past life or lives becomes eradicated. And the great sages say that that is actually a form of mercy or kindness because I have this compulsion, this drive to be the center of things and to be the central enjoying agent. And as long as I have that desire, I must repeatedly take birth again and again and again. And for me to try and be able to fulfill that desire, I, I have this will. I want to try and fulfill these desires. The fact that I cannot remember my failures makes it possible for me to continue to foster this desire. It is said that when a person comes to actually question, well, hell, is this really worth it? Am I really finding everything that I seek? Am I being fulfilled in the way that I wish to be fulfilled in this life? Or is there something wrong? Just like I read that little portion from the Chaitanya Charitamrita in the beginning, where Sanatan Goswami asks, why must I suffer? the threefold miseries. So these threefold miseries is the unhappiness or suffering that's caused by my own body and mind. This is called adhyatmic. Then there is adhidhivik. It is this, or we'll go adhibodhik next. The suffering that I experience due to other living beings, my friends, my husband or wife, my kids even, my pets, the sand flies, the mosquitoes, the flies, the insects, the little bugs that invade my body. Other living beings cause me different forms of unhappiness. And the third type is called adhidevik. It means the um, suffering that comes as a result of, of natural Mm -hmm. Nat natural calamities and natural occurrences, a volcanic eruption, an earthquake, excessive heat in the summer, or, or you know, prolonged dry spells, or flooding, or excessive cold, all of these natural occurrences that 
also can cause me suffering. So Sanatan was asking, why? Why do I suffer these threefold miseries? So it's going to be the nature of this world that because we are trying to do something that is not entirely natural. For instance, I seek happiness. Why? Why do I want happiness? I want happiness because it is part of the eternal condition of the soul itself to exist in a state of ananda, satchit ananda. This ananda, this blissfulness, is the natural state of the soul. But when I inhabit a body and I'm not experiencing a state of blissfulness, I feel agitated. And so I'm always looking here and there and everywhere else for something to stimulate my senses because maybe that will make me happy. I'm looking for happiness because it is part of my, my eternal nature to exist in a state of happiness. But while I am in possession of this overwhelming consciousness where it's all about me, I'm the center of my, my life, <laughs> and it's all about me, while I have that consciousness, okay, I'm given the opportunity to try and fulfill that. I have the free will to make that choice and I'm given the facility to try and fulfill it. But the reality is that when I endeavor, it must frustrate me somehow or other. And then my choices and my frustration and disappointment is either to take intoxicants so I kind of forget everything or to be, try and become lost in some experience or to actually question, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe there is a better way. And so these, these uh, I think you're probably beginning to see, Jenny, how the, your question and the previous question are actually both very closely in, interrelated. And it's necessary to develop a, a good and broad understanding of what is spiritual life and, and, and the nature of material life which now leads to the next question. Um, is after talking to some friends who do not have much spiritual information in their lives, this question came up. Why is the world so full of incredible suffering and pain? And that ties in also to the question, I think it's from Kayla, the last question. When you speak of this human existence, you say it's like a jail. And this question was put to somebody else. You say it is like a jail and we will never find true fulfillment here. Why does this have such a negative lens? Is it possible to have this understanding whilst also seeing the absolutely magical and beautiful world that God has created for us? I hope that makes sense. So, yeah, so we'll, we'll try and address these two things together. You know, um, and it looks like, what's that? I got a new message. One second, let me just read this. 
Okay, well, I'm not sure if we'll be able to get to that or not. Um, so what is the big picture? The big picture is material life is not a punishment. It's not. It's not a punishment. The living being, the soul, desires to be like God almost and be the center of everything. I see myself at the center of everything. And so we're simply given an opportunity to try and fulfill that fantasy because the reality is I'm not the center of everything. But the nature of the material world is such that it doesn't matter how much I stimulate my senses, it cannot fulfill me because I'm a spiritual being. It is only spiritual experience, spiritual nutrition that is going to fulfill me and fill up the void. It's kind of like two people sitting side by side and somebody gets an ice cream and they've got this, you know, wall, this massive ice cream with all the trips on it. And it's like so amazing. And you're just sitting there looking at it. Wow, this is going to be fantastic. This is going to be amazing. I'm going to really dive into this. And whoa, okay, here we go. And then I push it up against the other person's face and they lick it and go, ooh. And then. I'm sitting there holding it and I'm going like, I'm looking at that person tasting it. I'm going like, I'm not feeling anything. Oh, let me try again. And I put it over and the other person licks the cone. Then I bring it back and I'm going, well, all of this has been eaten, but it's not doing anything for me. That may seem like a ridiculous example. But actually, that's what it's like. The living being has become so preoccupied with this illusion that the body is the self. And I desire actual fulfilling experience of happiness and of love. But I only engage my body and my mind to try and, and, and find that fulfillment, that experience. And then I'm sitting back in there and my body can be getting full up, like my stomach can be getting full of ice cream and my mouth is now all sugared out. And, and I'm inside going like, it's not fulfilling me. It's not completely giving me what I hoped it would. It's necessary to try and understand that then the consequence of feeling kind of sometimes a bit depressed and let down and disappointed with this world and the relationships and the experience and everything, this is a natural consequence. It's not that you are being punished. You have foolishly, foolishly assumed that if I can just do that, I'll be fulfilled. If I can have that, if I can experience that, 
I will be fulfilled. I will feel the love and the happiness and everything that I actually desire within my heart of hearts. But when I discover that it's not doing that, that's not a punishment. That's just like, well, what can you do? You know, you've made an assumption. You've gone on this journey to try and exploit something for your so-called happiness, and it's just not fulfilling you. Well, that's fantastic. That's not something to be depressed about. That's, wow, you've been shown a reality that you should be able to relate to and embrace and go, wow, far out. So that that's not doing it. I need to find the thing that will actually do that, that will actually give me the fulfillment, will actually give me everything th- that I'm actually seeking and, and looking for. So the nature of the material world, yes, I mean, everything breaks down. The four highlights of human life, you take birth. And then as you grow, you eventually come to this point of, experiencing different types of diseases. I mean, my God, look at COVID. Then you run into old age. And you think your life may be bad now, whatever it is. You wait for the old age thing. That's mind-blowing. And then you've got death. You know, this is just the nature of the journey. It's not a punishment. It's not bad You know, it's just the the nature of things. What causes us great unhappiness is when we have false expectations that this particular person or this relationship or this experience or this whatever it is, is going to fulfill me and is going to utterly make me happy and we're all going to live happily ever after. Not true. Not true. And then I find out this person, not only can they not fulfill me, I'm not fulfilling them. And they're off on a relationship with somebody else. Then it's like my heart has been broken in two and I'm just pining and crying and I can hardly get over it. It's kind of like, well, why did you place your heart in the hands of someone who cannot love you perfectly, who cannot fulfill your need for love. Why did you do that? Well, I thought they would. They promised. (laughs) Yeah, I, I thought they would, and they'd promised to me, and therefore I thought it was going to be true. No, that's not the case at all. We should neither have an optimistic nor a pessimistic view of the world and of life. We should simply see it for what it is, a realistic view where we are not raising it up, nor should we be putting it down to recognize that, okay, if I put my hand in the door and I, you know, door frame and I close the door on my fingers is going to cause pain that's just the way things work. 
if I expose myself by falsely hoping that something's going to fulfill me, then I become disappointed. It's not the nature of the world. It's my problem for having falsely expected that this would be fulfilling. So what is the mentality of a transcendentalist? A transcendentalist moves through this world full of awe and appreciation for everything, not just the beautiful things. You know, I mean, uh, the final part of that question was, um, is it possible to have this understanding whilst also seeing the absolutely magical and beautiful world that God has created for us? Yeah, if, if we have that understanding that God created this world for us, to do what? <laughs> you know, what's not been said there? Oh, God created this world. And a lot of people, Christians and people in other you know, religions, they, they have this idea that God created this world for me so I can enjoy it and be God-like to be the center of everything. No, that's not true. That's that's absolutely not not true. He didn't, you know, if we want if we uh, embrace that idea that the world has been created, it's a creation and it has purpose. The purpose is not to fulfill you and make you limitlessly happy because if that occurred you would not seek out your eternal spiritual benefit. You would not seek to regain your lost and eternal spiritual consciousness. And this most rewarding, ecstatically overwhelming reconnection with the supreme soul. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go there. I'd be happy with all the ice cream creams, the endless varieties of stuff, and the relationships and all, and money just kept flowing in and I could just spend it. Come on. People, people that are wealthy become depressed. They commit suicide. They become unhappy also. It's just childish to think that this world is put here for me to enjoy and I can actually achieve a state of limitless enjoyment here. No, that's not the nature of things. So a transcendentalist is, is absorbed in the journey in this reconnection of the soul with the supreme soul, which is the meaning of actual meaning of yoga. Some people try to say that that's not the meaning, but that's a false idea. <clears throat> this is the actual meaning. And so I should deeply appreciate the wonder of this world. And, and know that anything that I see here that is beautiful and awesome and, and wonderful is but a tiny spark of an infinitely more wonderful spiritual reality, of spiritual beauty, of spiritual love and experience and truth. And if I get lost, if I'm just enamored by all the little sparks 
and don't turn my attention to the actual source, the blazing fire from which all these sparks have arisen, then I'm sort of missing the point. I'm missing the plot. So don't be overly optimistic and think this world is going to provide you everything that you need. You'll be fulfilled and happy. No, you, you won't. Nor should you be on a limitless bummer about how crappy the world is. That's not helpful either. We should be in great awe of the power of material nature, the awe of the power of the illusion that's created. But we should seek out our eternal um, spiritual good. This is really what is the purpose of our life. And in doing that, we develop a healthy and great appreciation for the material world and its nature. We embrace duty and responsibility that comes with having a body, that comes with having societal connections and relationships. But we dovetail this. There's a wonderful word, dovetail. I don't know if you know this. It's a carpentry term where when they joint like two pieces of wood together, like on a drawer in the old days, they hardly ever do this now. It's all glue and, and screws. And what they would do is, is cut, you know, you know, the tail of a dove. It's like a triangle. So they'd have a piece of wood with all these, you know, triangles sticking up along the top of it. And the other side would be in reverse so that they fitted perfectly together and never came apart. This is what dovetailing means. And so when we learn to, to dovetail the journey through this life and our activities and responsibilities with this higher spiritual purpose, regaining our lost connection to the Supreme Soul, then we feel deeply appreciative and value the world. We don't falsely see it, you know, that it's going to fulfill me. We're intensely aware of the shortcomings and the nature of things, but that doesn't become our focus. Okay, I hope I have sufficiently answered your questions today. If I have said anything that you are unhappy with, I ask for your patience and consideration to consider what I am presenting. It's not my ideas. None of this has come from my head. These are eternal spiritual truths. And it would be serve you well to endeavor to try and appreciate and understand these things. So thank you very, very much. Hari Bol, Namaste. And let maybe we'll just um, chant for a, a couple of minutes before we um, end this session. Hari Bol. So um, we will chant the mantra um, Hari Bol Nitai Gaur and then maybe Gopala Govindarama. Hari Bo Nitai Go Nitai
Thank you very, very much for the opportunity to speak with you. And I hope you will enjoy the rest of your retreat. And I'm sorry I'm not there with you all. Hurry ball.